Yo, I'm Flo. I'm Benjamin. Pull up a log and join us for some Tales by Fire. Welcome to Tales by Fire, a podcast that explores humanity's natural facility for narrative, our drive for understanding, and our overwhelming desire for a cracking good yarn, mate. Yo, I love a good yarn. On today's episode, we'll be checking out a couple more creepy pastas. Yo. And as an added bonus, we'll even provide an explanation as to what exactly a creepy pasta is for all you folks out there wondering why we're so disturbed by spaghetti. Well, it might be controversial, but I've never been a fan of macaroni. Anti-pasta. But in our first segment, we're going to be checking out a conspiracy theory that Professor Oak would love and then finish it off with a hectic retelling of an old Welsh tale written by Benjamin himself. So, Ben, yo, what's good? Yo, keen to get in and start the tales. I've, since last episode, we've been talking a lot about what we can do with this podcast, where we can take it. We've got a lot of exciting ideas for how we can kind of improve and grow the segments we have and add in new stuff. Yo. The idea of this podcast is basically a work in progress. We don't want to just kind of settle on a formula. It's just to find new ways to explore and talk about stories. Yeah. Whatever we come up with as a new segment, we'll give it a go. And if it works well, we'll try it. But if it doesn't and fails, we'll just drop it, never speak of it again. Yeah, I feel it's... It's what makes humans humans more than anything else is that we find narrative connections between things in nature, whereas most animals just go about the day. They can't connect the dots and bring it all together. They can't build. They can't create. All right. So should we jump straight into it then? Yo. Yo. All right, so after speaking to Ben, listening back to last week's episode, I've decided to change the name of this segment from Why Would You Think That too? Well, wait, wait. well hold up. Yo, I want to say it. Oh, okay. I'm the one who came yeah. up with the name. I want to say it. Right. Yo, I think I've got something that's going to work for this. Yo. <coughs> All right, add a little vocal effect to this flow. All right, yep. All right, ready? Check, check. All right, seems to be working. Let's call the segment. Echo Chamber. Oh, nice, nice. It seemed to go nice. Yo, that sounded real good. I think it works well. Take your mind back, listener. Roll back through all those harsh years that have transpired since and take a journey all the way back to your childhood. Remember the innocence, the hope, the feeling that good things existed in this world and were out there to be had just around the next corner. Remember the excitement, the thrill of setting off on an epic quest with your monster friends right there beside you in your pocket. Remember when everything felt right, no matter who got in your way, whether fisherman or crook, through perseverance and skill, you and your companions would overcome them. Nothing seemed insurmountable. There was nothing to fear. Then remember when you saw it. That tall, haunting tower appearing out of the fog, seeming to sway with malice, as if it despised life and all those who possessed it. Though it bore no eye, that tower possessed the ability to see into a person's very core, pry them open and reveal the darkness that hung inside like a phantom. As you walk closer and closer to that tower, remember the feeling that with each step, as that high-pitched beeps and wails began to dig its way into your brain, burrowing like a jug trio on the hillside, each tone, each melody accompanying each step, drawing you closer and closer to the deep truth that had been there hanging above you this whole time. Life is empty. Life is cold. Life is death. Further and further you sank into that all-encompassing darkness until death became all you knew, all you could love. You no longer had a choice. You needed to join beautiful death as soon as you could. Hope had become replaced by despair. The tower had won, another victim in its grasp. Those of you who are still here are the fortunate who were saved. But for those of us who entered that town during childhood, we can never really be saved because we know the truth. We learnt it at an age where we were young enough to listen, for it to sink in. Death is there waiting always, just around the next corner. Okay, if you haven't figured it out yet, 
from that story. Today we'll be discussing the urban legend known as the Lavender Town Syndrome, a.k.a. the Lavender Town Tone, a.k.a. the Lavender Town Conspiracy, a.k.a. Why to Jury? Why? Okay, I might have made the last one up. <laughs> I was going to say. Yo. So, do you heard of this conspiracy before we decided to tackle it? I'm not 100% sure. In my mind, there is a Pokemon con- conspiracy I'm thinking of, but I don't know if I'm just thinking of Masingo. Yeah. But that's just a glitch in the game. But I've definitely never heard anything Yeah, I feel like, like it's one of those things that's been hanging around. Well, it has been around for a while and we'll get into that, but it's something that I've kind of heard before in different variations. There's different um, stuff like coding in the game connected yeah. myths. This one in particular, we'll get into the um, history real quick. Um, first appearing online on 4chan in 2010. There's some other differing sources. Some say Pastebin, but usually it's 4chan and then the normies get it somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Facebook. Quickly spreading elsewhere. The conspiracy alleged that certain tones and frequencies present in Lavender Town's music in the original Pokemon Red and Green games. These are the original games released in Japan. Yeah, the Japanese releases then. Yeah, the original. These are the very first, the red and green, which of course was the original, not red and blue in Japan. Yeah. The release of these games and these frequencies led to a string of youth suicides across Japan in the string of 1996, claiming an alleged 200 victims aged, depending again on the telling, between 7 to 12 or 10 to 18, so somewhere between 7 to 18. The waves of death was a result of the experimentation um, by the well, I guess the the composer of the game, with binaural beats that featured high-pitched frequencies only children and young teenagers were capable of hearing. The victims were said to have been driven mad by the tones of this haunting town, by this pocket world of death. They seemed to be driven compulsively to take their own lives, usually accomplished by hanging themselves or jumping from a bridge, roof, or any other raised platform they could find of sufficient height. Those who attempted to console the children, according to story, or intervene in their attempts were met with incoherent screaming that was animalistic in nature, sharp, desperate, and violent. Some reported symptoms included headaches, tinnitus, nosebleeds, sleep apnea, aggressive behavior, and general obsession with the video game. In some cases, these symptoms progressed and compounded until the victim felt compelled to kill themselves, while other times the victim seemed to be spared the final deadly symptom. God, I'm... Glad I played blue version. So break it down simply. According to the myth, upwards of 200 or more children across Japan who heard this song were either driven mad or sick and then killed themselves as a result of these frequencies in the game. So it's not the... Because, of course, Lavender Town in the game is the ghost town with the haunted... Yeah, it's the ghost town. Like tower and the... With, um, yeah, the tower and all the ghosts. And the Cubone with the dead mother. And you go looking for the actual Yeah, ghost. and you go looking for... So it's yeah. not the actual, like, association with death of the town or any of that, which is what I feel probably led to the conspiracy. Yeah, it's the music that plays. It's alleged that the music itself, the actual use of binaural beats and frequencies that children could only hear and not adults is what led to it. Okay. Allegedly due to Kyoto Prefecture's disclosure laws and a possible possible cover-up by the Japanese government, again, alleged, please don't sue me. Allegedly. We're not claiming any of this is real. We're just saying what's said on 4chan. And again, that's not reality. Allegedly. (laughs) The development team and Nintendo as a whole never faced any consequences for this tragic event. Though, and this is a fact, the only verifiable piece of this whole conspiracy, the games were in fact were recalled due to the frequency of the beat and were re-released again with the new music, which is the music we would have heard when we were kids. And I'm going to play well, a little bit of both in a minute. So they were recalled and re-released. So is that why they were re-released as blue and red version? Like they were re-released in Japan, were they just still re-released as green and red version? Yeah, they were still green and red in Japan. I'm not sure why they went blue. Maybe they just thought Squirtle needed some love. Okay. Yeah. But that is weird, yeah. Maybe, yeah. We'll play the... um in a minute, but I was going to say, Flo, do you want to quickly describe um, what binaural beats are? I'll sum it up now, though, with a good description I found on um, binaurialbeatsmeditation.com. They say, quote, The science behind binaural beats occurs naturally in the brain. A different sound or tone frequency is sent to the left and right ears through headphones. Upon hearing the two different frequencies, 
The brain interprets one consistent rhythmic frequency known as binarial beats. The resulting frequency interpreted by the brain is a mathematical difference between two frequencies sent from the left and right ears. The brain then follows along the frequency and produces brain waves of the same frequency. This theory is known as frequency following response, FFR, a naturally occurring science that happens in the human brain, end quote. Even just reading that, I don't even fully understand it. I definitely think we need to look into this properly because it, it sounds interesting. So it's, a, it's yeah, it's different frequencies out of different speakers. And again, what, from what I've read as well, it seems to work a lot better with headphones. Yeah, because yeah, it's direct in there, yeah. All right, yeah, I definitely think we should get into that more. There's probably a lot we could look into on that. Yeah. Should I play a bit of the original song? We'll check that out now then. And they're going to play a bit because it is very repetitive and a bit annoying. Listen to that. Um, I think I could already. I could already see why. I know. Well, oh and we're God. both adults, around thirty, right? And we can hear those high pitches. What are the tones the kids are hearing that we can't hear? This sounds so menacing. Oh, here we go. There was that drop. Oh, I did not expect that drop. I know. I think there's there's definitely something to this these tones that it can make you feel unwell if you sat there listening for this for too long. And this is what we we're left with. Alright, uh, but that was the um Lavender Town theme music. I know, I kinda like the melody, like the the overall like songs like weird. Yeah, I honestly I liked it. Like it is very like drop drop a eight oh eight to it and I think that would have been quite nice. I was gonna say I definitely think there is like something true to this in that like, oh, yeah. the the beats and the binaural beats made the kids like nauseous. And I was gonna say we could get into the effects of that a bit, but yeah, we'll do that in another episode. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, because binaural beats definitely have an effect on you, and there's definitely tones you can hear at a young age. Because the frequencies you can hear get worse and worse as you age. It was like that ringtone that we used to have when we were kids that par- adults couldn't hear. It was just like the high pitched beep. Yeah. So oh your yeah. Phone could ring really in class and the one. teacher couldn't hear. <laughs> I also wanted to. I would talk about is this um. Since 2010, it's still popular now. It's weirdly one of the most um, widespread conspiracies on the internet, despite like most people knowing that it's fake or you being able to fairly easily yeah. look into it. But I think it's not just this. It's like Japanese urban legends in general have gone popular and like I'm sure other foreign urban legends would be just as interesting to a Western. Yeah, could be the Pokemon connection as well. Well, yeah, there's a Pokemon as well, but think about the Japan connection i feel gives it like an eerie otherworldly edge whereas like a lot of the stuff we see in japan is people believing in spirits and oni and yeah stuff like that and it'll just be a general video and there's just a woman going like oh yeah there's a spirit on my shoulder or something and it's like as a western you don't know how to take that just the whole way that they believe it is completely different yeah it's like different views so something about like not understand that culture, I think, makes it easier for you to understand. Whereas if someone goes to you, oh, yeah, down in Sydney, 200 kids killed themselves because of Pokemon game, like that's a lot harder to believe as someone who lives in Sydney. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, they'll play Pokemon Go and they walk off the edge of a bloody cliff. So, Well, that's, yeah, that's (laughs) there's a lot more than 200 who've died from Pokemon Go, but that's that's not a conspiracy, that's just medical fact. And the last point I wanted to make is just I think the other thing that I think draws people to this is like you said it's pokemon so it's like the biggest pop culture franchise in the world look it up if you don't believe me listener yeah exactly pokemon is bigger than marvel bigger than disney star wars anything but the fact that it's pokemon that it's nintendo which is also a giant brand corporation the fact that people kind of have a fear of big corporations that's what's made the story so popular yeah because it's like on one hand they're like a weird arty video game company people like but on the other hand the big corporate organization it's the same as like gmos or like stuff like that people disliking i think yeah we should definitely do a nintendo episode there's a lot of interest in history with Nintendo. Yeah, that would be cool. Nintendo's a very old company. It started before computers, so. Yeah. 
If you have any um, ideas of different conspiracies or urban legends or anything we can go into, or is there anything from this you want to hear us go further into, let us know. Um, find us wherever we can be contacted and um, just let us know what you think. All right, this segment has been Echo Chamber. Didn't seem to work that time. I know. I think there's a trick to it. We'll have to figure oh, it out. Oh, wait, yo. Yeah, we'll figure that out. Come down the river, get some fish and things. I'm a bear that speaks. What the fuck you think? Hey, I'm Barracles. Wanna fish? Come down the river, I'll slap one out of the water for you. Wanna fight? I'll slap you out of your shoes. I'm Barracles. By the river. Come down the river, get some fish and things. Alright, welcome back from that short commercial break. Man, that sounded like a legit company there. Was that a bear? <laughs> Pretty sure that was a fucking bear, eh? I know I'd definitely use their services, that's for sure. Anyway, you seem to have a good... um. Voice effect going, Ben, so I'll let you say the name of the next segment. All right, let's see if we can get this working. This next segment is called Tales of the Dire. Hold up. Wait, it didn't work. Maybe try clearing your throat or something. Yeah, we'll see if that works. <coughs> Tales of the Dire. Yo. Yeah, that seemed to be better. Oh, I think the throat clear does it. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Must be like reset the vocal effect. Did you get that auto tune installed in your vocal cords or something? Yeah, the new um, SoundCloud update. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so um, yeah, in this segment, as usual, going to be checking out a couple creepy pastas. Yo, for those who haven't checked our last episode, um, what we do in this segment is we find a couple stories online, blind read them, you know, and kind of just see what our reactions to them are. All right, so should we give the audience like that short history of Creepypasta like we spoke about last time? And forgot to do it. Yeah, we'll do it in this episode. Yo. All right, do you just want to read the wiki description first? All right, so on wiki, it just says... Creepypastas are horror-related legends that have been copied and pasted around the internet. These internet entries are often brief, user-generated, paranormal stories intended to scare readers. They include gruesome tales of murder, suicide, and otherworldly occurrences. It basically horror stories that are copied around the internet. Yeah. They first emerged, like, in their form that would come to be known as creepypastas in the 1990s, early 1990s on the internet. Before they were on um, forums and like different web pages like that, they were um, originally text in chain emails that were spread about. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Like um, the same type of thing that if you have your grandparents on um, or your un old uncles or anything on your email, give out your email <laughs> address, you'll be getting a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, the definition is um, expanded over time to include most horror stories on the internet um, and adding the names to the norm. But personally, I prefer the old school, just anonymous. It makes the feeling of it like the fact that this is someone telling us truth of their life and then going off anonymously. If the name's there, it's like, well, it's obviously fake. Yeah, someone that's not going to put their name to it it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not being truthful. It just means that it's just that fucked up. They don't want to put their name to it. I have nothing against offering your work, but to me that's like, it's a bit different. Yeah. Um. All right. For the name though, because I know people are wondering about the name. The name originally comes from copy paster or copy pasta, which originated around 2006 on 4chan and which refers to um, stories that are just copied and pasted as the copy-paster yeah. and spread amongst forums, right? And then... I didn't even think about that. Yeah, is I thought it was copy-paster, but it's it might be right because they're copying and pasting the stories. Yeah, it's copy-paster, but then when it came around to, and any horror story started getting referred to creepy-paster. Yeah. And then I looked this up and it's there's different opinions, but most people on the internet agree that it's pronounced pasta 
yeah. instead of pasta. As to why it was the internet, it's funnier to say. Linguini. Like, yeah, creepy pasta. Personally, I believe if you pronounce it creepy pasta, you can go sit in the corner with all the jiffers and think about what you've done. All right, so do you have a couple of stories to read? Yeah, I've got um, a couple. I'll start off with a nice short one. First creepy pasta I'll be reading this week. It's called Branches in the What? Oh, I already said it wrong. <laughs> Branches in the Wind. Did you go to say wind? I was going to say wild, I think. Oh, no, I was going <laughs> to say, because there's a Simpsons joke where Marge goes to Lisa. She's like, run with the wind, Lisa. And she's like, it's wind, mum. And she's like, how would I know? I've never, I've only ever read it in a book. <laughs> See, yeah. That right there, if I pronounce anything wrong, is my reasoning. Simpsons. Yeah, the Simpsons. It's just a Simpsons yep. joke. It's just a Simpsons joke if I pronounce anything wrong from here. Finally, I'm home after working a late night. I finally finished a project that my boss has pushed on me. It was all worth it though, because I had a great day ahead of me. The part I was most excited about though was seeing my son. I finally won the custody battle against my ex-wife. God, what did I pick? And now I, okay, no, I actually, I was nearly going to say occasionally, but no, he, now he actually gets to see him. Yeah. I fixed up my son a spare bedroom for him. Although it looked bland and white, I figured we would have some spare time later and we could make any changes he wanted. I lumbered up the stairs and when he finally heard I was here, he quickly called me into his room. Daddy! Daddy! I can't sleep! I'll stop that voice now. There's a monster in the window. I think you should continue it. (laughs) Monsters, huh? That's original for a kid. <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. I <laughs> know. Oh, what a horrible fucking person. Oh, real original, son. Oh, what is it? Just a boogeyman. Yeah. Fucking what? Like, come up with saying, what, it's not a creature from a fifth dimension. Yeah. You know, it's not something that crosses across an astral plane. I know. He's just like, oh, don't worry about that. Why don't any of these people, like, cut their trees so they don't brush against their fucking house or whatever? I know. Like, how loud is your tree branches? All right. I pointed and showed him the branches tapping against the window pane. He trusted me enough to calm himself down, and I kissed him goodnight. Finally time for sleep. I could hardly even see straight at this point. I walked across the hallway and collapsed into my bed. I had too much on my plate to be dealing with monsters. I had to go with him to school the next day to get him signed in for the district. I had to buy him school clothes. I couldn't even think straight. That's when I heard him call again. Man... I love the kid and all, but I needed some fucking sleep. It didn't say fucking there, but I added that. I just felt <laughs> like he felt that way. Daddy! God. The monster's back again! He shrieked. See? I had to do it. I looked to the window. Nope, nothing but tree branches. I walked over it, and to prove it to him, I opened the window and turned back to him. See? It's nothing but the tree. I told you. Now go to sleep. You've got school in the morning. God. Good parent. He was still a little startled from what he could see, but what could I do? I was just too damn tired. Again, I fell into a comfortable bed, then heard a cry, and I've just had enough. Fine, I'll just sleep in your bed with you. If you see any monsters, just hold me tight. I walked back into his room, pulled back his red blanket, and laid next to the kid. Just to the kid now, he doesn't even, it's not even his son. While I lay, eyes closed, my mind started wondering, didn't I buy white sheets for the bed? I looked at my son's slit neck and realized my mistake. That's when I heard the monster. (laughs) Except it wasn't tapping at the glass. It was the footsteps from the open window. I couldn't help but laugh. How didn't I realize I had no trees in my yard? (laughs) (laughs) What? Couldn't help but laugh. God. (laughs) As he looked at his son's slit throat. That's what he thought. Sometimes his son's throat gets slit. And you're like, that's right, we didn't have trees. The whole time he was a terrible parent about it. He wasn't he's like, Yeah, if there's a monster just come to me, it's like, well, there's a real monster, Dad. It's like a gunman comes in the house and he goes, oh, just go and sit in dad's room. That way he won't be able to get me and doesn't tell his dad because his dad told him monsters aren't real. Pretty sure that dad killed his son. I think he might have. All right, so the next one is called The Dangers of Instagram Fame. 
Oh god. Seems like a compelling modern tale. It does, it does. Alright. I had this co-worker a few years ago, Matt, who became obsessed with fame. Or rather, the idea of becoming famous. He was too lazy to pursue anything original in the creative arts field, but figured fame would just come to him one day, like a dog scratching at his front door. Remember those kids in school that used to copy your work and try to take credit? He was one of them. It didn't matter. That's Matt. That's Matt. It didn't matter if it was a drawing of a cartoon tree (laughs) crying at being cut down. What? (laughs) By a logger with a chainsaw. Why is a tree crying? (laughs) And why would you copy that? If you, that's what you're going to copy. Why are they making political posters in school? That same image would end up on his sheet of paper, praised by the teacher and stinking of unoriginality. Fucking hell, Matt's a bit of a dick, obviously. Yeah. Matt hit the jackpot one day and got his small bungalow on his quiet cul-de-sac. It was away from the sound of emergency sirens and gridlock in the city. The bungalow itself was a cookie cutter and looked the same as every other house. A perfect fit for Matt in that way. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he bought the place at auction for dirt cheap and had to throw out the leftover contents. He chucked out everything from the old piss-stained Chesterfield with cigarette burns. That's a good rap name for a rapper from Western Sydney. (laughs) Piss-stained Chesterfield. (laughs) Yeah, they call me piss-stained Chesterfield. What the fuck's up? Pistain Chesterfield with cigarette burns to some ugly beige kitchen cabinets covered in pork grease. Oh, yeah. And God knows what. Something of interest that Matt found in the house hidden in the bathroom closet was a large cardboard box marked vaguely as old stuff. Old stuff. God. He was curious as anyone would be. So he lifted out the box and placed it on the scraggly carpeted floor. He had this cheap orange pen knife in his pocket that he used to sharpen sticks with as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) He was never without it. Anyway, he cut through the tape and couldn't wait to see what was inside. I feel like that knife is going to come back. Yeah, you never trust someone who carries a knife to sharpen sticks why is he need <laughs> I know okay though is he a, got a bow and arrow for one he already has a knife <laughs> so use that to stab someone yeah I know <laughs> like so he's a psycho but not a smart one there was photographs there must have been hundreds maybe even close to a thousand all glossy and mint condition on each one was this striking young lady posing in different garments and when I say striking this was the most beautiful woman Matt had ever seen in his life she had Long flowing red hair. Red's coming back as well. Long flowing red hair down to her shoulder blades with blue eyes. So inviting you'd think you were a kid with free reign of the candy store. Oh yeah. Her (laughs) eyes, they seemed to jump out of each picture. In some of the photos she was modeling bear modeling bear summer swimmers. Okay. What a bear summer swimwear. Bear summer swimwear. (laughs) She dressed as a bear, okay. Yeah, she's yeah. It's the bear from the ads back. <laughs> like he's come back. And then cozy knit fall sweatwear and others. So who was she? There was no name etched on the box or scribed anywhere on the photos. Matt rifled through several to see if there was any means of identification. That afternoon, he lost track of time until it was dark. He bruised himself, flicking. What? He bruised himself <laughs> flicking through each photo. Weak guy. What on his fingers? Oh, it's hard flicking through them photos. Or like emotional bruise. Maybe. Did he get an emotional <laughs> bruise from looking through the photos? Oh, her eyes staring right at him. Each newly discovered pose gave Matt his sense of wanton desire. Those piercing blue eyes grabbed him in a way he'd never felt before. Flick, 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 flick. Each newly discovered photo was more desirable than the last. Each new outfit skimpier. Oh, he's getting into it now. Until close to the bottom of the box, she was out of her clothes altogether. Matt, you creepy cunt. Put the box down, all right? Fucking Matt. Matt had an Instagram account. What? Oh, no, he's going to start posting videos of this candy shop woman. It started for him as a small piece of social media enjoyment. He wanted to see what his favorite wrestler was Benching during workouts. 
Fucking, I wonder who it is. Probably Chris Benoit sounds this guy is oh, into shit. the psychos. He wanted to know what food affects his sleeping patterns. He wanted to see behind the scenes makeup effects applied to actors on set during the making of his favorite B-grade movies. Okay. These were primary interest until he discovered Instagram models. Oh, God. This was when his personality started to change. Oh, no, he became a full-on creeper. What are we reading? Oh, no. <laughs> In no time, Matt's account was flooded with constant updates of images of beautiful women all sipping ice lattes on verandas, supposedly in Southern California, wearing just enough clothing to satisfy the content rules and regulations. <laughs> he'd, scroll, he'd scroll through his phone constantly, fucking jerking off, no doubt, addicted, even at work when he didn't think one of the swing managers would notice. I don't know what that is, but anyway. He'd be stood there ogling, ogling, oogling. Ooh. Eventually, he lost interest in wrestlers, the movie stars, the B-grade movie horror icons, until it was just a slew of different models of all shapes and sizes appearing on his phone, each satisfying and perverted <laughs> curiosity in a different way. God's guy's like a collector. He's going to kill people and collect, like, faces or some shit. Someone call the police on Matt. All right. Earlier... I'd mentioned Matt's little character flaw. He's obsessed with fame. Well, some of these models on Instagram have millions of followers, and those followers in turn give them millions of likes. Those beautiful little seals of approval, that nice dopamine shot you get through the day. Sometimes it can get lucrative when it comes to sponsorships and advertising, so fame and money just from posting stuff online. Well, Matt thought to himself, why not create an account using the made-up name and post these newly discovered photos if this perfect girl could draw the followers like him, he'd achieve everything he'd ever wanted. What? So he doesn't want the fame. He just wants people liking the his likes. content. Well, why? Yeah, because he won't be famous because no one knows who the fuck he is. Yeah. So he's the opposite of famous. He's going to be getting guys sending dick pics. Is that really what he wants? A ghostwriter of a <laughs> book isn't famous because no one knows who they are. If your name's not out there, if your face isn't out there, you're the opposite of famous. You're anonymous. Come on, Matt. It's what I said, though. It's him taking the photos of this woman who's probably a dead woman because it's a creepy pastor and posting them on Instagram to try to get likes. Matt didn't show up to work after that. He didn't call in sick or request emergency vacation. He just never left his house. The large computer screen in his bedroom gave him all the Instagram feed he could handle. Days turned into weeks and Matt's appearance changed. The formerly freshly 200-pounder had wilted and become almost a skeleton. His face was drawn and sunken. He didn't care. The new Instagram account was booming. So, like, he's obviously been on the heroin as well. His face is sunken. It hasn't eaten. Yeah, I know. In just a few weeks, this mysterious girl's face and body had lured over 10 million followers from around the world to gaze upon her. Matt's inbox was flooded with messages of wanting from fans and begging for another fix. Messages pertaining to marriage proposals, job offers, and sponsorships were in the hundreds of thousands. She was the newest hundreds Instagram sensation, and her name was Nia Savani. Fucking Nia Savani. That eh? sounds real. Yeah. Nia Savani. Matt was proud of creating the name. It was probably the most original idea that ever entered his <laughs> his farcical grey matter of his brain. God, that's sad. Matt had made money, but more importantly, gotten his taste of fame, or rather, Nia's fame. Soon, Nia's wings were spread to more than social media. Her face was appearing on the news channels around the world. The general public even became obsessed with her, especially since they had only seen pics and no video footage. There was one news story. It must have scared Matt even before everything else happened. Oh no, what's about to happen? A Mrs. Gould was interviewed on one of the news channels. She was in her 60s but looked older. The six packs a day smoker <laughs> kind of person, you know? Fucking hell. Fucking old Betty. On the program, she claimed to be the mysterious girl's mother. I'll never forget her face. It was chilling. She was sobbing uncontrollably, pleading for the page to be taken down. She claimed Nia Savanti was, in fact, Megan Gould. Fuck! 
What is that, that you, Alice? Fuck. Jesus. Alice what? just banged on the window and scared the fuck out of me. All right, we'll be back in two seconds. Jesus Christ. Yo. Yo. Fuck it, hell. That was scary as fuck. You should know. leave that in the podcast. <laughs> Where was I even up to? Okay, let me look. Let me look. Uh, face. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. I'll get back to this. Jesus. Just got a yeah. bit of a scare. <laughs> she claimed that Nia Savani was, in fact, Megan Gould. Megan went missing from her home three years ago, leaving behind a pool of blood. Nobody was ever found. Matt, being so infatuated with Nia, didn't care. He continuously posted the photos, sometimes as many as six in a day. Jesus, how many photos does he have? He had thousands, it said. <laughs> Jesus. Just to satisfy the public's craving as well as his. He didn't care for anything else. His lawn was overgrown, jungle, flies that zipped around his kitchen, spewing up dirty dishes. What? His pet goldfish floated dead. On oh, oh in no. his dirty tank. Or meanwhile, Matt's own personal health must have declined. Then one day, Nia's account stopped updating. Matt had used up all the photos from the box, all of them, except for the all natural ones at the bottom, meaning the nudes. Oh fuck. Well these days that's alright. Just start making a what's it called? OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's definitely gonna get arrested by someone. Instagram had verified itself as a profileable tool and Matt's ghoulish face salivated at the thought of creating an OnlyFans, I called it, OnlyFans, <laughs> OnlyFans account for the raw photos. God's sake. The amount of money and fame involved here could be a positive gold mine. Oh, fucking hell. Matt had been using a scanner connected to his computer for uploading the physical photos, so he proceeded to start with a new batch of skin. Oh, he called, oh, new batch of skin. Oh, disgusting. Why does he say that? I told you he was going to collect faces. At first, he estimated there must have been a glitch on his PC. The photo didn't upload properly. It just presented him a dark, faded image. He couldn't make heads or tails of it. He removed the physical photo and put it back to scan again. All while this was going on, Matt didn't notice the figure standing in the corner of his bedroom. Oh, God. Uh Matt's face dropped when he looked at the screen. It couldn't have been real. The image that scanned on his PC was of him, sat in his bedroom at his computer desk. The image was taken from the corner of his room. At this point, Matt was breathing heavily, (laughs) like I am feeling his ribcage tickle he began to turn his head slowly and his peripherals gauged a dark whirling figure with bent knees and bony limbs he was facing it but the shape just stood there in the dark the tension was too much then he heard a voice his ears positively prickled up then he heard a guttering voice whispering from his computer screen my name is Megan Gold I'm not sure to this day how the video was able to upload to his Instagram page, but I'll never get get the image out of my head for as long as I live. In the video, Matt sat there at his desk with every crack of wall space taken up with a different photo of the girl, his pale expression haunted and seemingly in a trance, repeating out loud his name was Megan Gould, slowly carving his own face off down to the muscle fiber with his orange penknife. You called it. Brought it back. You called the face being fucking carved off. I knew it was going to be the penknife. Collects his own face. Oh, my God. So the demon. That's Matt. That's Matt. (laughs) No, that's Megan Gould now. So that's the end. Yeah, that's the end. What the fuck? It's the cars, his face off, and how did he upload it to Instagram? And Instagram lets it up. God, this is why you don't join OnlyFans, people. That was definitely creepy. I don't understand why he's so obsessed with Instagram. I know he was into his wrestlers, and then he got into Instagram models, and then he was starting an OnlyFans because he thought he was getting famous, and then he peeled off his own face. All right, so that's it this week for tales. Of the dire.
coming soon to a pair of headphones near you. For as long as mankind has been wandering the earth, we have come together and gathered to share our knowledge. Some have told tales that make us wonder, while others make us ponder the big questions. Hmm, what am I going to have for dinner? Balsamic glazed steak rolls? Or a strawberry kiwi fruit pizza? Uh, uh, how can we get back on topic? Uh, this isn't an ad for Uber Eats. But as hungry as I might be, nothing beats those conversations with friends. When they tell us something that makes us say... Oi, get fact, mate. Coming soon to Tales by Fire. We're back from that commercial break. It's our third segment. Do you want to um, let them know what it's called, Ben? Yo, this third segment's going to be a little different than the other ones. Um, this segment's going to be called Law Report. L-O-R-E Report. Yo. Law Report. In this segment, we're going to be reading myths, legends, and rewriting them into our own words and retelling them for you, the audience. It's a more of a dramatic reading, a bit of more production. Let us know what you think, whether you prefer this format or whether you like how we switch between. So it's just going to be more so like old myths and legends that we find and us just retelling them, rewriting them in our own words and then, yeah, just telling them to you, the audience. Yeah, retelling the stories in our own words, um, sharing them the way they were meant to be shared originally. Yeah, like with a little extra production value, like you said. Yeah, with production value. All right, so we'll just may as well jump straight into it. I'll let you take it from here. Let's go. The tale of the Lady of the Lake and the Physicians of Mudfa. In the south of Wales, under the shadow of the Black Mountains in the hamlet of Blood and Swud, lived the widow farmer and her only son. Despite recent hardship, Providence had decided to shine upon the farmer and over time her livestock had continued to grow in number until eventually there were so many that her fields did not contain enough grass to graze the lot of them. Deciding that something needed to be done, she sent a portion of the livestock off with her son to graze on the slopes of the adjoining Black Mountain. The boy would roam the side of the mountain grazing the livestock through sloping fields and alongside knotted woods. But amongst all the places across the mountainside, his favourite place would prove to be the shores of a small, beautiful lake named Linian Fanfa, Lake of the Small Hill. As the sheep and cattle partook of the abundant buffet that bloomed along the shores of the lake, the sun would spend long hours gazing dreamily into the lake, thinking boyish thoughts, dreaming boyish dreams. The son continued his duties as he grew, grazing the livestock, wandering the fields, yet always returning to the shimmering beauty of the lake. One day, as he was nearing manhood, the son returned, as he so often had, to the shores of the lake and to his absolute astonishment, gracefully reclining on the surface of the water was the most transcendently beautiful woman he had ever had the privilege to lay his eyes on. The son was dumbstruck by the woman's beauty. It was otherworldly, beyond anything he had ever seen or even been able to imagine in his long morning spent daydreaming by the lake. The moment he had seen her, he had tumbled head over heels in love. He would make her his wife. There was no question. Being an uncultured farm boy with a widow mother who didn't teach him no better, and having no better idea about how to approach the woman, the young man offered her his provisions of barley, bread and cheese and just stood there mutely with his arm held out in offering, finding himself unable to speak due to the overwhelming and very sudden infatuation. The woman of the lake glided across the water towards him, causing no ripples in the process. She gently declined his misguided offer. The son tried to reach out and grab hold of the beauty of the lake, but she eluded his grasp and said, Your bread's been hard baked. It's not so easy to catch me. With that, the woman dived under the icy water of the lake and disappeared, leaving the young man to walk home alone, 
disappointed and love-stricken. When he got home, he told his mother about the extraordinary sight he had witnessed on the lake and what had happened when he tried to approach the woman. She rather questionably advised her son that next time he should carry uncooked dough with him, as there must be some spell connected to hard-cooked bread that prevents him from capturing the lady of the lake. Newly motivated by his mother's advice, the young man set out the next morning before sunrise, his pockets full of bread dough. He didn't bring his mother's livestock along. He wasn't concerned with grazing this morning. All he cared about now was capturing the lady of the lake and making her his wife. The young man sat by the lake gazing into the clear icy depths, hoping, wishing, pleading for the lady of the lake to make her return. But she did not, and the young man spent hours watching the ripples spread out across the lake, perpetuated by the breeze that blew about him. Eventually the clouds that had hung in the sky all morning cleared and the cold grey gloom gave way to a bright, almost blinding sunlight. The young man looked across the other side of the lake and was shocked to see some of his mother's cattle walking across a ledge at the edge of a steep incline. He began to race around the lake to get the cows so he could try and help them. He had to. It was not only his duty, they were his family's livelihood. As he got about halfway around the lake, the young man was stopped in his tracks and all thoughts of the cattle left his mind. She was back. The lady of the lake had returned. She was standing this time, drifting across the surface of the water with her ghostly glide. The young man could swear that she was even more beautiful than last time and he once again proffered his hand, this time offering the bread dough which sat raw and squishy in his palm. To accompany his very generous offerings, the young man offered flowery words and eternal vows, something along the lines of, So, uh, hey, wanna do this? The lady of the lake refused the young man's advances and rebuffed, Your bread's uncooked, and, How about, uh, not? Or something along those lines. The woman again dived under the water and vanished, only this time the young man saw a smile light in her immaculate face as she left. He wasn't sure what the smile meant, but he chose to take it as a good sign and walked home with a song in his heart, altogether forgetting about the cattle on the ledge. Upon returning home, the young man once again recounted to his mother what had happened. This time, she suggested that her son should take barely baked bread insisting that it would be just the thing to please the mysterious beautiful woman with which her son had become so enamoured. Impelled by the ardour only those still in the throes of youth can feel, the young man set off the next morning with a skip in his step and rushed over the mountain to the lake and waited impatiently for his love to return, with barely baked bread in his pocket ready to gift on arrival. Sheep milled around precarious inclines while cattle set about dislodging large stones which rolled down the hill and splashed in the lake below. Rain came and left. Birds sang and winds rolled. The young man noticed none of this. He just sat and gazed at the lake, waiting for the lady that inhabited it to return. The morning passed and noon came before anything would happen. As he looked across the surface of the lake, growing fearful that the lady would not return, the young man was astonished to see several of his mother's cows walking across the clear still surface of the water. The young man looked about, hopeful that an even more wondrous sight was soon to follow the one he had just seen. He would not be disappointed. Emerging out of the water behind the cattle and looking even more gorgeous than ever was the Lady of the Lake. The otherworldly creature began to drift effortlessly towards him. Overtaken with excitement, the young man jumped in the lake and struggled through the icy waters to meet her halfway. This time, the Lady of the Lake accepted the bread. It turns out his mother was right. Barely baked bread was just the thing. Shioso, after further persuasion, or pleading, depending on how you look at it, accepted his proposal of marriage, though she put forward a stipulation. She would be his wife and come to live with him, but if the young man struck her not once, not twice, but three times unprovoked without a cause, the marriage would be off 
and she would leave him forever. The woman before him was at least three times more forgiving than she should have been and a thousand times more beautiful than he would have thought possible. He gladly consented to her stipulation. In fact, he would have consented to any stipulation and thus the two agreed to marry. Suddenly, the woman once again dived under the water and vanished to the chagrin and utter despair of the young man. He could not believe she had left again just after they had agreed to wed. The grief was overwhelming and he could not see how he could continue to live in this world without the woman who now meant more to him than anything else in existence. Just as the man reached the brink of despair and was on the verge of drowning himself in the beautiful lake that his lover had appeared and then vanished into, a wizened old man with a broad build and a noble bearing emerged from the lake, followed by two identical women of exceeding beauty. When the wizened old man spoke, he bore a vigour of youth in his tone. So, uh, you want to wed my daughter, do ya? Asked the old, mysterious man. Yes, sir, replied the young man. The old man consented to the union on one condition. He would allow the young man to marry his daughter, but only if he could distinguish the object of his affections amongst the two identical women now standing beside him. He only got one chance, and if he chose wrong, everything would be lost forever. The man didn't know what to do, The two women looked exactly alike. He didn't see how he could possibly distinguish his love amongst the two. The man narrowed his eyes and scanned the two women, but could find no feature to distinguish one from the other, and once again considered whether he should just drown himself and be done with it. Suddenly, the woman on the right slightly moved her left foot forward. The movement was subtle, but it caught the young man's attention and answered his dilemma. The two women had identical sandals on, but both had tied them in slightly different ways. Luckily, the young man had spent time admiring the beauty's ankles and knew how his love had tied her sandals. He reached forward boldly and took her hand. Once and done, said the old man. Ah, you've chosen correctly. I give my daughter's hand in marriage, and as a dowry, I give as many sheep, goat and cattle as my daughter can count without needing to take a breath. Be a good, kind and faithful husband, and they and my daughter are yours. But treat her unkindly and strike her not once, not twice, but three times without cause, and she and the livestock will leave you and return to me. The young man agreed to the arrangement, and his bride set off counting her dowry. In rapid succession, she counted in fives. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five and so on until her breath was exhausted. This she repeated three times, once for the cattle, once for the sheep, and once for the goats. Upon his daughter finishing her counting, the old man summoned forth the livestock, and one by one the animals emerged from the lake. Off in the distance, one of his mother's cows tripped over the edge of a steep incline and broke its leg. The young man, of course, didn't notice. The young couple were married in a ceremony which the details of which have sadly been lost to time and moved to a farm known as Esgarlevde, which sat just a mile away from the small village of Midfa. Keeping the magical nature of the Lady of the Lake secret, the two prospered and became wealthy, not only in money but in family and the two were blessed with three sons who they loved dearly. They lived a happy, peaceful life on the farm, their happiness and the Lady of the Lake's magic seeming to increase not only their prosperity and happiness, but that of everyone who lived around them. One day, the family was invited to a christening. The wife had seemed eager to go, but when the day arrived, she complained that it was too far for her to walk. Just fetch one of the horses your father gave us, suggested the young man. I will, said the Lady of the Lake. Fetch my gloves for me while I do so. I left them in the house. The man agreed and went back to the house to fetch his wife's gloves. When he returned, he found that his wife was still sitting there and had not gone to get the horse. Go, go, get the horse. We need to leave, said the man with a smile, slapping her on the shoulder with the glove in a jovial manner, trying to urge her on. Remember the condition I agreed to marry you upon, said the lady of the lake. You have struck me without cause. Do it twice more and I will leave. 
the man endeavoured to be more cautious in the future. On another occasion at a large wedding that gathered people from across the local countryside, the lady of the lake began to cry in the midst of much mirth and merriment. Her husband patted her on the shoulder gently and asked her why she was weeping amongst so much joy. You have struck me a second time without cause, and great trouble is likely to befall you and everyone who surrounds us. Strike me once more, and I will leave and not return. The young man thought this was most unfair, but nevertheless, he endeavoured to be even more cautious in the future. Years passed, and their three sons grew into clever, industrious young men, and the house filled with even more joy than it had known before. The man had never experienced so much happiness and was so caught up in the rapturous joy that he was in danger of forgetting that he only had to live for one more careless, undeserved strike and his wife, his happiness and his prosperity would leave him forever. I warn you, husband, said his wife, my affection for you is great and I'm totally into what you've got going on. But great forces beyond my controller at play and if you strike me once more undeservedly, even if inadvertently, we will be separated forever. One day, when the couple were attending a funeral, in the middle of the crushing grief of the mourners who congregated at the deceased house, the wife began to smile and broadly indulge of fits of booming laughter. This so shocked her husband that he reached down and touched her arm with a force that was strong enough to be considered a strike. What's wrong with you? This is a funeral. Shut up. Everyone's staring. The woman looked at him and smiled. How can I help but laugh, dear husband? The dead are free of all trouble, as now I am, now that you have delivered the third and final blow. Our wedding contract is broken, and I must leave you forever. See ya. With this, the lady of the lake, his dear beautiful wife who brought him all the joy that was in his life, floated off towards the farm to take the livestock and leave. In turn, she called each by name and each came to her. Even the small black calf that had been slaughtered the year before rose from the dead and joined her. The woman guided the livestock across Midfire Mountain and took them to the lake where whence they came. Once there, each in turn dived under the cold still water and disappeared never to be seen again leaving no trace of their existence save for a deep furrow at the edge of the lake which lasts to this very day and proves the truth of this tale. What happened to the distraught and abandoned husband is sadly unknown, but one can't help but grimly speculate that perhaps he took that final measure he had considered all those years ago and finally dived under the water himself, never to return. It is said that the sons of the Lady of the Lake would often roam the edge of the lake, gazing dreamily into the depth, hoping that their mother would once again be permitted to show her face in the world above the surface of the lake. One day, as they ramble about the mountain, at a place near Dahal, at the great mountain gate, known to this day as the Physician's Gate, the mother appeared once again and told her oldest son, Rywellen, that he had a mission on earth and he was to be the benefactor of mankind who relieved them of their pain and misery. The boy was to heal all manner of disease, and to help him meet this end, his mother gave him a bag full of medicinal herbs and prescriptions for their usage. Using these herbs and the instructions, Rywellen and his ancestors would go on to be the best physicians in all of Wales. After handing her son the bag, the Lady of the Lake agreed to return to him again when her counsel was most needed. On several occasions over the years, the woman met her sons on the bank of the lake, even one time venturing with them to a place known as the Dingle of Physicians, where she pointed out various plants and herbs which grew in the deep wooded valley and possessed medicinal qualities, and described their usage. With the great knowledge their mother had gifted to them, and their natural skill. The three sons soon attained great celebrity, which surpassed that of any which had come before. They were the greatest physicians anyone had ever seen. In order to assure their knowledge was not lost, the three sons wisely committed it to writing to the great benefit of mankind throughout all the ages that were yet to come. 
And so ends the tale of the Lady of the Lake and the physicians of Mudfa, which has been handed down for generations. After all the turmoil suffered and knowledge gained, one can't help but wonder, what was up with the bread? Thanks for listening to today's episode of Tales by Fire. If you swipe or click on the cover, you'll find the show notes where you can find all our social media links and other information on today's episode. And if you'd like to leave a voice message, we can play on the show with any suggestions, questions, or your own short stories we can react to or tie into an episode. Just visit our page on Anchor at anchor.fm slash talesbyfire. Or if you're an old school fan, you can send us an email with a voice message or a short story that we can read out at talesbyfirepodcast at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at talesbyfire and leave a comment or to send us a DM. And if you enjoyed what you heard on today's show, make sure to like, subscribe and leave a five-star rating review wherever you listen to this podcast. And make sure to go tell a friend to check us out and give us a listen. Flow handles all the audio mixing and production. Ben designed our logo and came up with our title. And a shout out to Alice for her feature on today's episode. Yeah, nice jump scare. This was a production from the Tent Media Collective. guys if you or any of your family and friends are affected by anything in today's podcast or have been struggling with mental health swipe or click on the cover art to find show notes where we have links to lifeline or the equivalent in your country thanks for listening to today's podcast